You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord bless you, church. So good to be here and uh, to be at the pulpit again. Uh, I guess uh, uh, I sometimes wonder whether everybody in this uh, in the congregation actually know me, but I'm assuming that you know me, okay? (laughs) Uh, And and um, uh, I used to at one time work for this church called Agape Baptist Church, but now I work for an organization called uh, City to City Asia Pacific. Uh, and uh, I just want to give you a very quick update because I don't come up to the pulpit very much nowadays, all right? So uh, I just want to share the, the joy that uh, we share at City to Asia Pacific. Tomorrow, uh, our very first Bahasa Indonesia intensive will go live, you know, uh, which is uh, our intensive is where we train church planters. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's our main program that actually starts impacting cities and transforming uh, 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 lives and planning churches. So, if you uh, if you see this uh, this 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 diagram, it shows uh, uh, the different cities that uh, uh, they're going to come from. Uh, this is a very first. This is a very first Bahasa intensive. That oh my goodness, uh, I think the slides are telling me go and preach the sermon, brother. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, uh, the, the, uh, and this is really exciting because. Um, uh, we have a total of, I think, 19 church planters and another about 40 over observers coming from 17 cities uh, in Indonesia. And, uh, if, and we are activating 17 cities at one time with this intensive. So at the same time, starting tomorrow, uh, we are having our Chinese intensive in Taipei, which is also running. This is running for the fourth time. And as a result of this intensive, over 30 churches have been planted in tai- Taiwan alone in the last four years. And uh, not that we're standing, we already had our Japanese intensive that just finished about two weeks ago. And then in the month of November, we will have our Asia intensive, which is an English intensive in KL. 
And then our very first uh, MMW, uh, you need to guess what that is if you do not know. Our first MMW uh, intensive will also be live in Kuala Lumpur. So we are really excited. The intensive is not the only thing that we do. Uh, it is one of four big, big things that we do, uh, but we are really excited uh, the way that the Lord is leading us. I've been doing a lot of traveling this year, and I have a, I have a, I have a prayer group uh, here in Agape that I'm so grateful for, that I keep duly informed of all my travels so that they could pray, especially for my safety. Now, anything could happen on the road. I could fall sick. There could be an accident, anything. Uh, so I never assume on my need for prayer covering, and I duly inform the group every time I travel. So I, I'm, and many of you are here, and I'm just so grateful for, to you and uh, uh, who, who, who actually read my text and pray for me. On the home front, uh, I have a retired wife who just read the scriptures today, uh, who is exceed, who has been, who is who is excelling beyond measure as a grandmother. I mean, it's like when you know that uh, when the grandkids miss her, and when they see a video of her, they start crying and they say, "I want to see popo, popo." Then you know that you know that you know that you, you know that you know that she's missed. But they don't miss me that much. Yeah. So, uh, but I will win their hearts. In a matter of two, three years, I'll tell my wife, this is a, I'll, I'll win back their hearts and they will want me more than they want you. But that's our internal competition, all right? It is great uh, uh, to, 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 to have those. Uh, uh, we have, uh, and that, that leads me on to the sermon. Uh, I have two grandchildren and, uh, who both just turned 18 months and uh, they're already showing traits of impatience in a very cute way. You know, in a way that you just cannot get offended with them. When the boy wants to go outdoors and he's a very outdoor kind of person, he cannot stay in the house. He always needs to go out and, uh, and he wants people to take him out. And he, when he doesn't get to go out, you know, he gets, he gets cranky, you know, he, he yanks his hands all over the place and uh, he, 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 he just gets difficult and gets impatient. When the girl wants to eat, she must have her food there and then. You know, if not, she can get very upset, almost monstrous looking, you know, when she's so angelic in the way that she looks. It's like, it's almost like we're all born with this desire, you know, to have our needs met immediately. Now, sermon today comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. It is a standalone sermon uh, in the passage that we just read. And you notice that, through the text, you, you hear phrases like, Moses persevered. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, the book of Hebrews, actually, uh, is about one particular word, and that word is endurance. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were talking about giving up uh, because they were being persecuted and because of their suffering. And the writer of this tract says in Hebrews chapter 10, remember after you, after you first become Christians, you endured the plundering of your possessions. And then he, he, he goes on and gives us in chapter 11, which is all about faith based on, uh, the faith that leads to endurance. And he climaxes the books in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, the scripture that we just read uh, just now, look 
at Jesus Christ who endured the cross, endured opposition, therefore you should endure as well. Now the word endure that you see here in, in the book of Hebrews, the Greek word uh, that is continually being used by the writer here, uh, in the Greek is the word called hypomeno, H-Y-P-O-M-E-N-O. The word meno means to stand or to stay. And the word hypo is a little prefix from which we get the English prefix hyper. So you know what that means. So what the word endurance actually transliterates into is to hype. When you say endure, it means to hyperstay or to hyperstand. Now, to hyperstand means, in a sense, to put your feet down such that nothing can knock you out. Like you stand and you stand unshaken. It's like you are in a strong flowing stream. Have you been into such a situation where you, you go onto a stream and it's flowing so strongly, you know, the, uh, the, it, the, the force of it is so strong, but you go in there and you stand on it. And then you find that you are being moved, but you, you're, probably your weight is so well anchored in it that you stand and the force of the flowing stream does not knock you out. Now, the question that comes up is this, people. Is it possible to be a durable person? Is it possible to really endure? We live in a culture of instant gratification. If you want something, you get it instantly. These are days and times and, uh, and, and seasons in our lives where you really hardly need to wait for anything. You know, people, it wasn't like that when I was growing up. And I was growing up, uh, when I was a teenager, I was, it was in the 70s. And, uh, and if you have a flashback of that, I need to give you black and white frames. You know, what I'm about to tell you, because if I, wanted to, if I wanted to listen to my favorite music and something came out, you know, in the market, like, for example, uh, my favorite singer those days was, uh, there were many, one of them was Barbara Streisand. She still is. And if, if, if I wanted to hear a cassette, that those days was cassette tapes, okay? Uh, a cassette tape of Barbara Streisand, her latest album, I had to go to the store that is in town, which means to say that I had to cycle there and then buy the cassette, it was, it was still on, in stock. And then I have to cycle home and come back to my cassette recorder and play on it. And then only I get to hear and listen to my favorite music. Now, you get to be patient to get the music that you wanted. And I think as a result of that, those of us that, was, that were growing up in those, in, in those days, we didn't get so irritable if we, didn't, if we had to wait because waiting was just a way of life. We never had text messages. I mean, if somebody, if I waited at a bus stop, you know, when I was courting my wife, it was the same thing. If I waited at a bus stop and then she didn't come, uh, I don't know where she is because we didn't have handphones. We couldn't text each other. I just waited and waited patiently. And that's how I got to marry my wife. 
You know, nowadays, what can you do if you wanted to listen to a new piece of music? You go to Spotify, and within seconds, you got to listen to it. You know, in a fast-paced world where you get most of the stuff at the push of a button, hyper-standing just does not make, seem to make sense. Is it possible to endure in a hyper-fast world like ours? Now, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. And the answer in the book of Hebrews is, of course, yes. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews, his whole purpose is to show you it is so possible to hyperstand. And it's possible to be someone, you know, uh, uh, who stands and who doesn't get knocked out of his feet. It's possible. Now, I get, I, I tell you, an infant in all of his or her immaturity may insist that they want what they want now. But as you grow into maturity, you must learn to hyperstand. You must learn to make sure that you never get knocked off your feet. And I tell you, you, are ne you, you will never see much of what God is up to in your life if you simply keep quitting. You will be truncating the process of his work in your life to grow you in depth and in strength. Those who stand till the end are like the tree that is planted by the waters that is described for us in Psalms in chapter 1. Now, I, I, I like us to just show to us fairly briefly today the principles in the life of Moses that shows the secret of endurance, the secret of the long run, the secret of someone who stands firm, who stands put, and who, who can't be knocked off his or her feet for anything. Now, don't you want to be the kind of a person, a person who is durable? People, there is a biblical theological secret. And let me just show you what it is. And first of all, I'm going to show you this in two ways. One of all, what Moses endured. And secondly, how he endured. Okay, so we'll look at the first. What Moses endured. Now, it's interesting to see that Moses had to endure three crisis points in his life, and they are all mentioned in the first few verses that we, that we read. First of all, uh, these are the three crisis points, and let me briefly run through them. Number one, identity crisis. He first went through an identity crisis. Secondly, he went through an invisibility crisis. And then third, an impossibility crisis. All right. Now, let's look at each one of these first. First of all, the identity crisis. The first major crisis points to where he says in the, in the text that he refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, but decided to identify with the people of God and suffer mistreatment just like them. Now, where did this happen? If you know the story of Moses, and I think most of us know, if we didn't read it from the Bible, we saw it in the Prince of Egypt, uh, that, that, that movie, Moses, as, as, the, as the story goes, was a Jew who was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And therefore, 
He was brought into the court and he had the most incredible training. He had access to all the corridors of power. He had, incredible, uh, he had an incredible career that was ahead of him. Now, way before him, there was a Joseph, years, years before. Joseph had been both a Jew and a prince in Egypt. But times have now changed. Pharaoh was now getting very nervous because the Jews had multiplied to such a great extent and they become such a strong people, he was afraid of them. And because he was so afraid of them, he began to exploit them. He opposed them. He, he, he turned them into slaves. He oppressed them. He began to beat them up and, and, and exploit their labor. Now Moses, looking at all these things, could either uh, discover that he could not be like his forefather, uh, 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 Joseph, who could be a prince of uh, uh, Egypt and a prince of Israel. Moses realized that he could either be a prince of Israel or he could be a leader in Egypt, but he couldn't do both the way that Joseph did. He had to make a choice. And he chose to identify with his people, which would be costly. So as the story goes, and you know this, that one day he was out uh, and he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a helpless Hebrew slave. And in anger, Moses killed the Egyptian taskmaster, buried his body in the sand. And at that point, when he did that, he had thrown in his lot with his fellow men. He completely identified with his people. He decided no longer to take the advantages that he had as a member of the royal family. And this was going to cost him. He endured a cost in taking on this identity which now leads on to the second thing, the, the, the crisis of invisibility in his life. If you, look at your, if you look at the passage, and we read from the ESV, but I like it the way it says in the, in the NIV, when it says, by, left, he, uh, by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Now, the very next day, Moses discovered two Israelites fighting with one another. So he walks up to them and he says, hey guys, why are you fighting? Stop fighting. Don't fight. We don't fight our own people. And one guy turns up to him and says, who made you judge over us? Who made you to rule over us? Are you going to kill me the way that you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And all of a sudden, it hit Moses that this wasn't a secret anymore. If the fact that he had killed the Egyptian had already, is already out, he knew that Pharaoh would hear about it pretty soon, but that was not the worst thing. You know, the worst thing was that his own people had now rejected him. They were talking in contempt about him. They were gossiping about him. They resented the idea that he had self-appointed himself as their leader, and they were frightened of him. And suddenly Moses, in one day, went from two people to know people. Actually, Moses did not have to leave Egypt. I, I tell you why. In those autocratic governments of the ancient times, if, if a son or daughter of Pharaoh kills a commoner in a tantrum and then comes to the grandfather and says, hey, granddad, I'm so sorry. I don't know what got into me. No, I just was so angry. I just killed that guy. Granddad is going to look at you and say, come on now, grandson. That guy is a commoner. 
You know, that's okay, it's all right. Go have your dinner, you know. Let's move on with life. That's, that's, what, that's what Pharaoh would have told him. But Moses knew that if he'd gone, gone back, you know, and, and found safety with Pharaoh, you know, he would have lost his identification with his people. He wanted to stay true in his identification with people. If that is what he wanted to do, he cannot go back. In fact, Pharaoh would be madder if Moses left the palace just because he killed the commoner. Now, he has become a reject. He has become a reject among his own people. He has become a reject among his people on one hand, and has become an eternal fugitive from the wrath of, 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 the, of the Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man on the earth. And he knew he could renounce his identity with Israel and just go back to safety and security of the palace. He could do the wrong thing and be safe, or he could do the right thing and face absolute career suicide. But Moses hyperstood on his identity with Israel. Even though Israel rejected him. Now he is not the great leader, but he is a fugitive. He's running off into the desert. He could be killed by beasts or thieves. If he ever survived, he would become a fugitive endlessly. But Moses stood his ground. He put his feet on the waters and he refused to allow the waters to sweep him away. And that plunged him into obscurity. He became invisible. Now, as far as he was concerned, his life was over. Any person looking at what had happened to Moses would say, this is crazy. Look at this man. Tremendous leadership potential. His people need him, actually. And look at what has happened to him. He's now stuck out as a shepherd in a desert for years and years, and now he's become a member of a marginal group of people when he was potentially a prince of Egypt. He, he, his life is at the end. Everything is in tatters. And people, so there he was. Moses, he passed his 40s. Nothing happened. He passed his 50s. Nothing happened. He passed his 60s. Nothing happened. You know, by the time, if, you, if I were in his place, by the time I passed 60 and I'm still doing the same old thing of shepherding and uh, 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 just a, 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 a flock of, of, of sheep, uh, I think that I, I, I do not know whether I could hyperstand. But he did. And then he went into his 70s. And then he got to be 80 years old. And then there was a complete, he, he looks like he has been a complete has-been. Everything is over. And then lo and behold, one day God shows up. It's almost wondering, Lord, why so long? But God shows up in a burning bush and says, Moses, I have a job for you. And God says, you know, even though you are a member of a marginal little group, even though now you are a nobody, I want you to do two things for me. Then number one, I want you to go walk up to Pharaoh the most powerful person on the face of the earth, 
And I want you to say to him this, I am about to take your entire free labor force from you. And secondly, the Lord tells him, I want you to lead these people out, this group of people. They've been broken by slavery for years. They have no economic resources. They have no personal resources. But I want you to lead them out and I want to warn you something. They are going to continue to reject you, complain against you, oppose you. And even though they're going to do all of that, would you continue to hyperstand? And on top of that, listen to this. Moses, the Lord said, when you go to Pharaoh, he has the greatest army in the face of the earth and he will come after you. And Moses said, yes, Lord, I'll obey. And that led to the third crisis that he faced, the crisis of impossibility. That's the final crisis where he was standing on the banks of the Red Sea. On one side was the mountain. On the other side was the sea. On another side was the army of Pharaoh charging after them. And in obedience to God and his word, he took his people and they're all standing behind him. And he is right in front of the Red Sea. And he puts his feet into the sea and he says, forward. He was literally into the sea and he endured. He hyperstood. He put his feet in the Red Sea and he passed through it. Nobody knocked him out of his feet. He did the impossible. Now, people, the question of this dramatic great story is that how did he become a man like that? You notice that at every spot of his crisis, the test got worse. At every spot, he was still able to handle it. He could have never done it 40 years before that, but at every point, he continued to grow in perseverance. He endured. How did he do it? Have you felt so tried and tested, you just wanted to give up? Look back at your life, people. Look at the crisis points in your own journey. It may be very different uh, from, from, from Moses, but you and I had had our own crisis points. Look at your crisis points, the history of the crisis in your life. Did you quickly give up or did you endure? Did you hyperstand? Because every time you give up and quit, it will become easier to quit the next time. There are deep lessons in endurance that will prepare you for greatness, but you must learn to endure. Endurance is always the harder option, but it puts iron in your soul as it did for Moses. Now, how did Moses endure it? How can we endure? And this is where we come to the next part of the message, which is how. It's great to know what he endured, but the better question for us is how did he do it so that we can learn how to do it. Now, this passage gives us how, but it gives us truth three verbs. And if we can unpack those verbs, we actually get the secrets. Okay, so 
uh, how now before I go into that. Now, the endurance that we're talking about here, people, the endurance the book of Hebrews is talking about, it's not the kind of the grit your teeth, negative kind of endurance, like you just try to, oh, you know what? The Bible tells me I got to hyperstand, bopian law, you know, just stand, law, tahan, tahan, until I cannot tahan. That's not what this is talking about at all. Okay, that kind of uh, endurance will drain you. That kind of an endurance will eventually get, get you to give up. You know, that kind of endurance will weaken you in your spirit and in your soul. It doesn't put iron in your soul. That's not what it is at all. Moses' endurance was different. We are told here exactly what Moses did to become the kind of person. And if you want to, uh, you, you want to do the same, you've got to look at how Moses endured. And there are three verbs I told you. The first verb is he conceded. The second verb is that he suffered. The third verb is that he saw the invisible. Let's look at the first one, he conceded. First of all, he conceded. Now, do you see the word there that comes out in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26? He, he conceded the reproach of Christ, greater wealth, then the treasures of Egypt, I'm sorry. Uh, then the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered, now what did he consider? People, listen, listen up here. This is what he considered. There are two things before him. One is the treasures of Egypt. The good life of Egypt, the position of Egypt, the power of Egypt. He looked, on the other hand, there was the reward of God, which is not immediate, but it was eventual. He will get it anyway. He will get it. So he looked at both of this. He assessed the two. Now he thought, he considered. He thought and considered. He weighed. He judged. And he said, look, you know, if I were to accept the disgrace and the rejection of my own people right now, if I were to suffer for standing on my identity, I'm going to lose comfort, I'm going to lose convenience, I'm going to lose a good life, I'm going to lose home, family, I will become a fugitive. Now I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose with men, but I'm going to gain with God. I will lose with men, I will gain with God. So he considered, would he rather lose with men and gain with God, or would he rather gain with men and lose his reward with God later. What does he want? Moses said, I would choose to go with God. And that helped him hyperstand. And that helped him endure. Moses, said he, he, Moses says he decided the treasures of the world, uh, the, treasures, the, the treasures be that he would have with God was far greater than the passing pleasures of sin. The pleasures of sin last just for a short time. Now, people, let me pause. Let me just pause here and draw out the first secret to lasting endurance that this teaches us. It is this. You're only as durable as the thing you love the most. Think about it for a little while. You are only as lasting, you are only as enduring as the thing you love most. 
Moses said, if I love something most that can never pass away, I will never pass away. If I love something that will last forever, I will last forever. If I love anything that is vulnerable, I will be vulnerable. If I love anything that is shakable, I will become shakable. I'm only as durable as that which I love the most. Now, Thomas, Thomas Orden has written many books. He's a theologian. And one of his books is called Two Worlds. In the book, he actually outlines three things about goals. He says, number one, every person is goal-oriented. Now, don't tell me that I'm a retired housewife. I have no goal. I look at my wife, and I know that she has a goal. She wants to be the best grandma in the world. You know? So, and... Uh, 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 so everyone has a goal. Whatever your life uh, stage and phase, you have a goal. Then he says the second thing is this, that all goals compete. All right? So my wife has this goal that she wants to be the best grandma in the world. It competes with another goal. How about being the best husband, uh, wife in the world? All right? What about me? You know, kind of a thing. So we all have goals. All right? And, and, and we have several goals. And and say that all goals compete. They have several goals. And so he said, finally, there's one goal that will stand above all other goals in our lives. And then he says this last thing. If you choose a shakable center of value, you're always anxious. That means if you choose a shakable center of value, it's all... Now, so suppose your center of value is health. Your center of value is or, or good looks. Or to be well-respected or regarded by other people or wealth, or a comfortable life, which when any of this is taken away from you, you fall apart. Your life loses the power to hyperstand. The waters of life will sweep you away. Suppose your center of value is the love of a spouse, or the affection of your children, or the recognition of your boss. When you are not getting those, you easily lose heart. You lose your peace. You get discouraged. You wonder if life carries value. You wonder if you even carry, continue to carry on. You know, uh, you know why? Because the center of, of, your, of your life, the love of your life, is something that is finite, something that is vulnerable. You are only as durable as the thing that you love. If you choose anything but God, you are shakable. Let me repeat that. If you choose anything but God, you are shakable. And Moses figured that out. He made that assessment. He considered it. He regarded it. He thought about it. And he says, huh, I am only as durable as the thing that I love most in life. And I'm going to choose God. Number two, he chose suffering. The next thing, how he was able to endure was that he chose suffering. Now, he chose to be mistreated. Now, please don't get this wrong. He didn't look for suffering. Nobody looks for suffering, you know. You don't say that, I want to endure, Lord, send suffering. That's not what you say. But he decided to obey even though the obedience entails suffering. Usually, when you and I realize that obeying God, we all want to obey God to a degree. But when we realize that obeying God may lead to some suffering, the great temptation is to quit on God. 
what that shows up is that the core value of our life, the main goal of our life, is not really God. The core value of our life is comfort, is convenience. And Moses could have said, you know what? I went on the limb for these people. I risked everything for them. I gave up everything for these people. What a bunch of ungrateful things. Now, why should I be faithful to God anymore? Because being faithful to God means utter oblivion. It's a total waste of my talents. I cannot use my training anywhere now. You know, I am just stuck in a desert. But he decided to obey God anyway, and God didn't ruin his life. No. What Moses didn't realize was that people, what he really didn't realize at that time, 40 years before that, was that he was really not ready for leadership. God needed to keep him in oblivion to prepare him to be a leader that he was meant to be. In God's economy, no suffering that happens as a result of obedience to him is ever wasted. And that brings us to the second secret to endurance, and it is this. Obedience to God may lead to suffering. Obey any way. Because if you don't obey, your roots may not go deep. Let me explain this. There are times your obedience to God will result in some pain in your life. You can avoid that pain by saying, oh, I don't want pain, man. If obeying God means pain, I, 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 I don't want to obey. I'd rather not obey. But then your lack of obedience will truncate what God wants to do in you to prepare you for greatness. People, God is interested not just in your present, but also in your future and in your eternal future. And it's everything that God puts into your life sovereignly is to work for your good. Don't truncate that. You know, I well remember that as a pastor in those days, the pain that I had to endure of people, of what people said about me behind my back. Now, some of these talk were false narratives. Some of them were true. They were my weaknesses. They were my faults. They were my mistakes. But they all put me in negative light. And, I, you know, sometimes I knew who these people were. And when I knew who these people were, many times I wanted to just go and lash back at them. You know, but... I felt like that was not what I had to do. What I needed to do was to endure and hyperstand in the situation, and that meant pain and living with a, uh, with, with a pain. And oftentimes, I was so discouraged, and I wanted to give up. And, at, and if at any point, people, I had quitted in those 30 years, I don't think I would be where I am today. You know, it is hard to obey God. But remaining faithful to the call and, and continuing to, save in the, uh, to, to, to serve in the face of discouragement and pain has helped build deep roots into my life that I wasn't even aware was happening until many, many years later. Now, over the years, if you obey in spite of suffering, if you obey in suffering, if you obey even if it brings suffering, you will see that you become more and more enduring 
and you become more and more durable. It actually prepares you for life, especially for the latter years of your life. It takes years to develop that, but eventually you see it. Finally, he not only he saw the invisible, sorry, I'm going back. He saw the invisible. Lastly, we are told Moses saw him who was invisible. Now, when you read this, when I read this, I kind of scratch my head and say, ah, what do you mean? What do you mean he saw the invisible? You know, now, how did he do that? And I think for him, all that was man was like, I, I think what he meant was this. I think what he meant was what David says in Psalm 16, verse 18. I have set the Lord always before me because he is in my right hand, I shall not be shaken. People, this is a beautiful verse. This is what it means to see the invisible. You set the Lord always before you. What Moses was doing was that he was reminding himself of who God was. I suppose for the 40 years in the desert, he was reminding himself of who God was. He was seeing the unseen. He was continually seeing God. And in the, the way to do it is to discipline himself to remember who God is. Now, people, let me ask you this question. How do you do that? How do I do that? How do we keep on always keeping the Lord before us? Now, I want to bring back something that I always say to this church, and this is this. The only way you are going to be able to keep the Lord before you is when you seriously practice the Christian ordinaries. It is as simple as that. That's the only way that you're going to set the Lord before you always. Open the Word of God daily. Pray. Worship. Take church attendance very seriously. Join a cell group. Be a part of a Christian community. Tithe. Now, let me tell you this. You try skipping any of these things for a period of time. Try not reading the Bible for a period of time. Try not going to church for a period of time. Try not attending cell group for a period of time. You will not be setting the Lord before you. You will be forgetting the Lord. You will no longer see the unseen. You will no longer be able to set the Lord before you. And then it becomes hard to endure. Now, some of you here are the, are the verge are the of giving up. Maybe it's a, it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship or a ministry. Maybe you feel like giving up on church even. Or just, or just to quit on those godly principles you have stood on. Or you're just tired waiting for God to show up. Can you imagine if you, if you were in Moses' place just waiting 40 years and God doesn't show up and, and, and your prayers remain unanswered and your situation remain unchanged and you waited too long and you feel numb in your spirit. The reason Abraham was, Abraham, the reason Moses was able to do what he did and become the great man that he was, the reason he was able to so endure until the end was because, one, he learned to assess what was most valuable in his life. Two, 
He obeyed God, even when he equaled suffering. He chose suffering. Number three, he set the Lord before him all the time. Can you do that? Would you do that? Now, in case some of you wonder how practical these three pointers for endurance are, in case you wonder if it really works for you, let me close with a true story. On October the 11th this year, my sister-in-law, Grace, passed away in Boston after battling with cancer for over a year. In the initial phases of her cancer, she subjected herself to chemotherapy and several other treatment, like anyone who, who, who has cancer would. Now, each treatment got her more tired, losing appetite, you know, suffering a lot of discomfort, and not being able to be very mobile and such. And then she discovered that the treatment, uh, while it was just wearing her out, it was also not helping her to deal with the cancer either. So in early March of this year, she decided to go on hospice, removing herself from all medication and treatment and allowing the cancer to run its course and take her life. Now she was happy to live out the short time that she would have, just simply so that she could enjoy family, friends, and food. It was about this time that my wife and I decided that we needed to spend some time with Grace. And I made two trips to Boston this year. And Christina spent some time with her in September of last year in New York City. And Grace and I, uh, you know, Grace is not just my sister-in-law, Grace is my friend because I had known her for over 50 years. We first met each other when I was five years old, and she was eight years old in Sunday school. And uh, uh, so, so we grew up as friends in Sunday school, and we knew each other uh, in, the, in, in, in our church youth group. And along the way, she fell in love with my brother, and then my friend became my sister-in-law. And my brother, Raja, uh, died 11 years ago in London. And when I visited Grace in Boston this year, in February, we sat to chat. And Grace and I, every time we sit together to talk, we could pick up from where we stopped, even though we have not met each other for several years. Uh, we could just catch up on our conversation. We have a lot of history, you know, to talk about and a lot to catch up on. And as, 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 uh, as we were talking, the conversation moved and Grace started speaking about dying and death. And there was no sadness in her voice. There, was, there wasn't any fear or any anxiety. She said everything she said as a matter of fact. And I looked at her, and to encourage her, I said, well, at least, Grace, you will be able to see Raja again when all of that happens. And then she smiled at me, and then she said this to me. She said, I had known Raja and seen Raja for most of my life, but I have only known Jesus. I've never seen him, and I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus face to face. At that point, I knew Grace had a deep relationship with Jesus. Now, if you know Grace, Grace is not a very religious person in the sense that she doesn't praise a lot, hallelujah, you know, she doesn't, uh, she does, in her first appearance of her, she would not even appear like, you know, she is, uh, anywhere near uh, religiosity. She's, she's nothing like that. 
But I knew at that point that she had a very deep relationship with Jesus. Raja was there for her for only so long, but Jesus has been there for her all along. She got the center of her value right. It was, it, it was not even, the center of her value was not even the love of her life. Her childhood sweetheart, the man she had spent most of her life with, it was Jesus. No wonder she was unshaken in the face of death. No wonder she could choose the suffering of going into hospice, knowing that when, when, when all that is over and when she declines, and, and though there's not going to be turning back, it's fine. She's going to meet with Jesus. And to her, it was such a reality. So she endured the discomfort. She endured the reality of dying. She's a journalist and a writer, and she wrote some, some award-winning articles on dying and death. In fact, she's written all her life, but some of her best articles were in the last year. And some of them won awards. You know, radio stations called her up and did interviews of her because of the way she talked about death and dying so fearlessly. And, 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 and those articles went viral, uh, inspired hundreds of people reading them. She meticulously planned her funeral service to the dot with every detail in place. How could she do, how could she do all of that in her dying? She was seriously looking forward to the reward that is to come. It was far more valuable to her than life itself. The day before she died, while her body was already shutting down and she could not move, every turn was excruciatingly painful, her daughter just to cheer her up, sat by her bed and said to her, Mom, you had lived a spectacular life. And she looked at her daughter in the eye and said, I have no regrets. She was ready to go. I think that's the best thing a person could say at the point of death, I have no regret. The next day, she was home in glory. She endured well. And in her dying and in her death, she inspired so many people with life. People, let me ask you this. What is the real love of your life? Can you answer that question? What? is the core center value of your life. Are you prepared to suffer for the sake of obedience to God? Maybe face some disgrace, absorb some bad mouthing, walk through some discomfort, face some rejection without reacting? Are you setting Jesus before you every day by practicing the Christian ordinaries? Do you take these things seriously? Are you preparing for greatness in that way? You see, people, if your life is a series of quitting and giving up, how would you face the final rate C? How would you walk in to the promised land? How would you step into the final rate C, which we will all face? Have you thought about that? Or how would you face the next trial, the next challenge, the next battle, the next pain that's going to come in your life? Jesus, the greater Moses, who endured the cross for us, 
He must be the ultimate love of our lives. I know we struggle with competing goals every day, but we still have to make the decision that Jesus is going to be the ultimate love of our lives and set the Lord before you at all times. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Our dear Father, we come before you, Lord. Asking, O oh Lord, that you forgive us, O oh Father God, where we so quickly give up and we truncate, O oh God, the great work that you're doing in our lives to deepen our roots so that we can hyperstand in the face of pain, in the face of challenges, even in the face of dying and death. Father, would you not help us, Lord, to endure as we look to Jesus, the one who endured the cross for us and died in our place. Father, I want to pray for people here in this room here this, this, this morning who are struggling, oh Father God, with the thought of quitting, with the thought of giving up. There are others of us, oh Father Lord, who have waited so long until our spirits have gone numb, oh Lord. Help us to remember that you made Moses wait 40 years and you had a purpose in it. Help us remember that you're still at work in our lives, oh Lord. You are not finished with us yet. And help us to look to you and set you before us all the time, always, so that we can remain unshaken. Father, make us durable people, Lord. Strengthen us and enable us, oh Father God, to rise with the virtue of endurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, people? I know that I'm... There are many thoughts in our minds, the heart will be stirred by the Spirit of God at this point. But let's capture it. Don't let this moment just, just, don't be distracted, all right? Let's come before the Lord. And in, let's worship the Lord with this. Call me out upon the waters, the great unknown. Feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery in oceans deep. My faith will stand, and I will call upon your name and keep my eyes when oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace i am Surprise. 
able, well able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. With great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and power and authority before all times, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, church. Uh, there is refreshments upstairs uh, from uh, the race today. So please go up and enjoy it. The Lord bless you for the rest of the week and we'll see you next Sunday for the anniversary Sunday. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.